0: So tonight, right, we're doing a series of three talks, you can see them up there on the screen. Last week we did, you know, God, where are you? Like, if you're there, why don't you make yourself clearer? Uh, tonight we're doing a talk on, on hell. God, what's the deal with hell? Uh, and the next week at Fat Reunion, we'll be doing a talk on, God, why is there so much suffering? And then after that, we're going to dig into a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes for the rest of the term. That's going to be good. It's going to be real good. Now... I reckon if there were a list of kind of the questions that all of us have for God, right, if we could make a list like that, I reckon hell would be at the top of that list. My God, what's the deal with hell? Even just the word hell, I reckon it kind of sounds pretty severe. It's kind of a shocking word to even, even think about. Hell's such a hectic idea that lots of churches um, choose to not even talk about it. They don't even want to talk about it because it's, you know, it's just such a, a full-on kind of topic and I've got to admit that as I you know, get ready to talk about this topic tonight, I don't enjoy talking about hell. It's a heavy thing. It's a, it's a hard thing. It's not an easy thing to think through. Um, it's not something that I enjoy kind of sitting around chatting about. I think it's important. I think we should be talking about it tonight. But I don't, I don't enjoy doing that necessarily. I reckon growing up wrestling with this idea of hell... I had all sorts of questions for God about it, you know, like, God, if if hell is real, what's it like? What what are we expecting that to be like? Is hell for eternity? And if it really goes on forever and ever and ever, why? Why would you do that, God? Doesn't kind of, you know, doesn't eternal punishment for 70 or 80 years worth of sin kind of sound like pretty extreme? What's the deal with that? If God is loving, why does such a place as hell even exist? There are all sorts of questions that I had about hell as I thought about this stuff growing up. And I reckon if if you're someone here tonight who's thought about this topic as well, I reckon you've probably thought about some of those questions. Hands up if some of those things are ideas you've had before. Yeah, that's a lot of you guys, that's good. Well, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of those questions as we dig into this passage in the Bible in 2 Thessalonians. We're going to answer those questions, hopefully. But more importantly than just getting answers for questions, here's my hope what's going to happen tonight, is that you're actually going to understand yourself a little bit better, see yourself a bit more clearly, and see God who created you clearly. That's what's going to happen tonight as we do this. And so I'd love to pray for us again that God would do that among us tonight. So let's pray and join me, please. Father God, this topic of hell is a difficult thing, and Lord, we pray that you'd give us understanding tonight. God, please help us to put any preconceptions we have about ourselves or about you. Please help us to leave those at the door and come to tonight with an open mind, ready to hear what you'll teach us in your word. Please change us by it, convict us, and help us to see the truth in it. Amen. All right, now the first thing I want you guys to see in this passage that was read out for us before, which is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, is this. And it may be a bit of a surprising one, but it's in there. Hell is loving because it brings justice. Now, that's a pretty big claim, I reckon. Like, that's not the first thing you'd expect someone to say about hell, that it's a loving thing. But I think it is because it brings justice. Now, if you look at verse 3 to get the context, Paul's talking to some Christians in a place called Thessalonica, and there's some Christians who are kind of doing their thing. They're doing what they should be doing as Christians. Look at verse 3. Paul says about them, we ought to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for each other is increasing. So there's this church, right? And they're doing what they should be doing as Christians. They're getting on with it. They're loving each other. Their, their faith in God is growing. But then what Paul says is that in that context, they're facing persecution. People are giving them a hard time. Look at verse 4. and he, Paul says, Therefore, among God's churches... Paul and his mates, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring. They're having a hard time. They're being persecuted for being Christians. Now, I talked to one of you guys after fat, and one of you guys here tonight was copying it at school because you're a Christian. You know, you're kind of getting picked on on Facebook and and bagged out and been called an idiot and all that kind of stuff. And that sucks to have that kind of stuff happen and it does happen to you guys all the time. But persecution meant a whole different thing for the early church in in Thessalonica. Now we don't know specifically what was happening for them but we do know a lot about what was happening to the Christians back in the day in this time. They were getting killed for being Christians, they were getting fed to lions, they were being mocked and, and kind of made fun of just like we do as well. Um, they're getting bagged out. They were getting their houses regularly confiscated and they've been forced to run away from their homes because people were trying to get them. Like imagine just kind of sitting in your lounge room, right? Just chilling in your lounge room and then one day an army comes rolling down the street and they're like, if you're a Christian, we're going to kill you unless you leave. And so all you can do is get up and just leave. Leave your home forever and never come back. That's full on kind of stuff. That's the kind of thing that's going on for the Thessalonians and the other Christians in this time all the time. And you know what, that kind of stuff actually happens today, all the time to other Christians all around the world, it's just that we live in a very sheltered place here in Australia. It happens all the time. A couple of weeks ago in Nigeria, 276 teenage girls were kidnapped at gunpoint by, by some people from the Boko Harim, which is just an extremist group in Nigeria, right? Most of these girls are 16 to 18 years old. They just got kidnapped, kind of pushed into trucks and they drove off of them. And the leader of this group released a video this week and this is what he said about it. He said, I've abducted your girls, I'm going to sell them in the market by Allah. And he says in the video and he's chuckling and he's standing in front of like an armoured vehicle with some guys with AK-47s. He says, Allah has instructed me to sell them. They're his property and I'm going to carry out his instructions. Happened two weeks ago. Now, these guys are doing this stuff because these girls are being given a Western education and they don't like the fact that there's Westerners in their country but they're also doing it because they're Christians and that's part of what it means to be a Westerner in that country and so these people are having this stuff happen for a bunch of reasons, including because they're Christians. Now, as yet, we don't know what's going to happen to those girls. We do not They haven't been found yet, they haven't been recovered, they're just been taken, there's no reason to believe that we will necessarily find them, we might not, they may not get um, brought back to their families, God willing they they may be but it could be that these guys, the Boko Harim, won't ever be stopped in this lifetime, maybe no one will ever catch them, no one will ever bring them to justice, that can happen. There's no guarantees they're ever going to face the consequences for what they do. Look at what God says though about what He's going to do, about that sort of evil in the world. Look at verse 6, God is just, he'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. When's that going to happen? This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So what those verses are saying is that when Jesus comes back in judgment, two things are going to happen. People who are suffering are going to find relief. Revelation 21 says that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So people will be given relief. But more than that, Jesus will bring judgment on the people who deserve it. He'll right every wrong. Every pedophile that that destroys innocence. Every drug dealer who kind of peddles junk that ruins lives every war criminal who slaughters the innocent, every thief who who beats up old women in their houses, all of them will face judgment from God. And you'd have to agree, wouldn't you, at this point, that if God didn't do something about that, at that point you'd have to say, well, where is this just God who created the world? If God is loving... Surely he will do something about this stuff. And the Bible's saying he will. There is such a place as hell. Now, next obvious question from that is then, well, what is hell like? There is such a place as hell, what's it like? Here's the second thing to see in this passage. Hell is eternal punishment shut out from God. Have a look at verse 8. Still talking about Jesus here. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So they're going to be punished. How are they going to be punished? Look at verse 9. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction. That's heavy. That's eternal destruction that goes on forever. Now, when some people think about that idea or see that idea in these verses, what they think is that perhaps that's saying, in hell, people will be annihilated. So, they'll be destroyed so that they don't exist anymore. I don't think that's what that word there's talking about. Eternal destruction is like having something ongoingly ruined forever. Like, imagine borrowing your parents' car and kind of denting it and, and smashing it up and trashing it and scratching it and bit by bit kind of wearing it out, but it's still happening, ongoingly being destroyed. It's not like grabbing your parents' car and chucking it in an incinerator and having it burnt and disappear and cease to exist. It's eternal, ongoing distract, destruction. Have a look at this verse up on the screen there, Matthew twenty five, twenty six, talking about hell. Jesus says, in hell, they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life, right? Eternal punishment or eternal life. So, the, so it's kind of like the opposite of heaven. So on one hand, you've got eternal life, ongoingly living with God, or eternal ongoing punishment in hell. Hell's eternal destruction. That's heavy. Secondly, though... It's eternally been cut off from God. Look at the second half of verse 9. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Shut out from God. Now, initially, you might hear that and be like, well, that doesn't actually sound that bad. If you, you know, you might be someone who thinks you're going to hell or whatever and you're like, well, you know what? If God doesn't like me, I don't like Him. I'm just going to kick it in hell without God and, and that'll be fine. But I think what you've got to understand is that every single good thing in this world, it comes from God. Everything you enjoy about this world, everything in creation, everything that's beautiful, relationships, pleasure, um, fun, family, purpose in life, your friends, everything good is from God. Anything that you enjoy about this world is from Him. And so to be cut off from His presence... Is to be cut off from everything good. The Bible this is heavy stuff, right? But the Bible talks about hell in a whole bunch of different kind of pictures. It describes it as a place of crying and weeping. Describes it as a place of darkness, torment, agony, a place of fire. But in the end, all those things I think can be kind of caught up in this idea of the absence of God's goodness. That's hell it's awful to think about. But it is just. It is right. Because ultimately, hell, if you think about it, is actually God giving people what they want. So here's what sin is. You ready for this? Sin, at its heart, sin is saying to God, God, I don't want you. I don't want you in my life. I don't want you to be in charge of my life. I reject you, God. (laughs) That's what sin is. Hell is God giving people what they want in the end, when they live their lives in complete rejection of God, walking away from Him, eventually they get exactly what they ask for in hell, they get a life disconnected from the presence of God. Now at this point guys, you might be like, well that's good, hell's just and so that makes sense and stuff like that but it kind of sounds like the punishment... Is is worse than the crime. Sounds like God's answer to the problem is worse than the initial problem, right? Does the punishment fit the crime? That's one of the most common things that people will ask about hell, I reckon that's a big question I'll ask. Like I said before, you know, 70 years or 80 years of rejecting God for an eternity of punishment in hell, is that a bit harsh? Like even if you did the most extreme thing, even if you spent your entire life kidnapping Nigerian schoolgirls at gunpoint, right? Just being a psycho. 80 years of that for an eternity of punishment? Isn't that a bit much? Wouldn't it be fairer if God gave 70 years in hell for 70 years of sin or whatever? You understand the objection, right? Yeah? Here's the thing, (laughs) there's actually no connection between how long a crime takes to commit and what sort of punishment it should get. That's I don't know where we get that idea from. That's just something we've made up. It only takes a minute to murder someone, right? Uh, But we put those people in jail forever. That's that's just how crime and, and, and punishment works. So that's kind of a thing that we've kind of, to begin with, it's an assumption that we've made up, but it's a weird assumption to make. How do you actually measure a crime? How do you measure sin and what it deserves? Well, guys, you measure it in terms of the act itself, what you've done and who you do it to. That's how you kind of feel the weight of sin. Now, measuring the act itself, measuring what you've done, it's pretty simple. You know, if you are someone who's lied to someone, then you've lied. If you, if you steal, then you're guilty of stealing. Like, the act itself is pretty simple, it just is what it is. Um, all of us kind of have a sense of the nature of the things that we do But I wonder if sometimes we don't really think about what we do very much and if you actually stop and think about the things that you've done just in the last week, if you're honest with yourself, you'll probably realise there's a whole big list of different things that you've done that are are pretty terrible. Not the stuff that everyone knows about and the stuff that people see, but the stuff you keep to yourself, the stuff you do only in your head. Um, Jesus talks about that kind of stuff in Matthew, in in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' standard, right? Right? He says, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And you're like, cool, I don't murder, that's not too bad. Jesus says, I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. You can do that just in your own heart. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not not commit adultery, don't have sex outside of marriage. Well, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman or a man lustfully has committed adultery... In their heart. So when you look at your own heart, you start to realise, yeah, I'm actually quite guilty of a whole bunch of things. And so even just taking the, the acts of sin themselves, the Bible's view is that our sin is pretty serious. But here's the big point, here's the thing. Who is sin against? Who have we sinned against when we sin? Like imagine if I, if I lie to my wife... Who have I sinned against? Well, it seems pretty obvious. I've sinned against my wife. You'd think so, right? And I, that, that's true, but that's not the whole picture. Come over to Psalm 51 with me if you've got a Bible there. And if you don't, just listen carefully. Psalm 51. Now, the context of this psalm is pretty full on. There's a guy named King David, and he's pretty much just messed up everything. He, um, he's just slept with another guy's wife, and to cover up his tracks for what he's done... He gets the the lady's wife, husband, murdered. So he murders this guy after sleeping with his wife. Um, And then here's what he says about what he's done. Psalm 51 verse 1, check it out. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. That's a good prayer to pray to God when you're falling in sin. But look at verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. First and foremost, his sin is against God. So if I lie to my wife, yeah, I am doing the wrong thing by her, but primarily my sin is an offence to God. It's God's law that I'm breaking when I lie. And so when the Boko Haram in Nigeria, you know, do terrible things, yeah, they're, they're doing all sorts of terrible things to people and sinning against them, but more than that, what they're doing is evil because they're disobeying God. And so whether you're a terrorist or just someone who lies to your mate... Your sin is a rebellion against God. Sin is measured by the act itself and who you do it against. I'll give you guys an example of this and it's a bit of a hectic one but try not to get too involved in the illustration. All right, but imagine you're walking down the street, right? You're walking along and you come across like someone and they're like sitting in the gutter and they've got like a worm and they've got this worm in their hands and they're pulling apart a worm in their bare hands. And if you saw that, you'd be kind of like, oh, that's a bit... It's a bit weird, it's a bit kind of off, maybe he's going fishing, whatever. Ugh, it's a bit gross though. No, imagine walking down the street, step it up a notch, you're walking down the street and you come across someone sitting in the gutter and they've got like a puppy and they're pulling apart a puppy with their hands and at that point that's not just like maybe he's going fishing, you're like that guy's a psycho and you'll probably call the RSPCA, you know they could end up in jail for that maybe, they'd probably end up on Facebook or something, like it'd be pretty serious if someone did that Step it up a notch again. Imagine you're walking along down the road and there's some nut job sitting in the gutter with a human baby. And yes, yeah, a bit gross, isn't it? So this isn't real, don't. But you know, they're pulling apart a human. At that point, you'd be horrified. You'd probably end up scarred for life by seeing something like that. You'd call the police, they'd go to jail forever. If they're in America, they'd get the electric chair. Like they'd be infamous for how evil what they'd done was. But you notice it's the exact same action just committed against a different thing, a different creature, right? God is far greater than us. God is further from who we are in His infinite worth and value than we are from a worm. You get that? God, as the creator of this world, is way more important and valuable and to be honoured than we are compared to us and a worm. That's how big the gap between us and God is and that's the one we sin against when we sin, the infinitely valuable God. And so that's why sin against God deserves hell for eternity. Okay, so hell's just, it's good that God won't let people get away with evil, but I think the obvious question to start asking at this point is this one... (laughs) well, what about us? Now, it's easy to sit around and go, isn't what those terrorists did terrible or whatever? But where do you stand with this God? That's the last thing I want us to look at in this passage. Check out verse 8, and here's what I want us to see there. Everyone needs to be rescued by Jesus or face hell. It's a big claim, but look at verse 8, back in in 2 Thessalonians. Everyone needs to be rescued by Jesus or face hell. Verse 8. He will punish those who don't know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, this is tricky and I want you to make sure you get this. Don't miss what's been said here. When he says, those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel, you've got to realise what he's saying there. What does it mean to obey the gospel? What does the gospel, the good news about Jesus, mean? ask us to do? Well the place to start when obeying the gospel is this, you've got to trust what the gospel says, that's what God commands from us in the gospel, that we trust Jesus. So obeying the gospel isn't about earning your way to heaven, obeying the gospel is about putting your trust in Jesus. So this verse isn't telling us to earn our way to heaven, we can't do that, we can't make ourselves good enough for heaven but what this verse is saying is that you need to put your trust in in the gospel, obey it, or you will face hell. Now, you might be like, so I'm aware, there's a bunch of new people here tonight, right? And you guys are just like, what is this? This is crazy. I just want to say, bear with me, do your best to think this through. If there's stuff you guys don't get, that's okay. Come talk to me about it, yeah? Happy to talk about this stuff, so please do. But anyway, you might be like, what? God sends people to hell unless they... You know, believe in this one particular message about this guy, Jesus, who died on a cross, and if they don't believe that, then that's it, they're going to hell. What's with this God? That might be what you're thinking. Um, but I reckon you've got to think about this a little bit more with me. So here's the thing there's background to what Paul's saying that I think we've already talked about tonight, but Paul doesn't say it here in verse 8. The Bible is very clear that no one gets sent to hell based on what they don't know. No one deserves hell because of some knowledge that they don't have. So it's not like there's people in deepest, darkest India who God will send to hell because they don't know a certain thing about Jesus or whatever. People go to hell, I've already, we've already seen this, because of their sin. That's why anyone deserves judgment from God. But what that means is that anyone who doesn't get rescued from their sin, which they've committed through Jesus, will face hell. And so you're still lost if you don't hear this message, but it's not because you didn't hear, it's because of your sin that you're facing God's judgment. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Like, imagine, imagine there's like, uh, I don't know, some worldwide bug, right, going around, the fat flu gets out of control, everyone, and you've got this virus, right, the whole world's got this virus but there is a cure. And so imagine doctors are going around with like the pill cure or whatever, and they're like, hey, if you take this pill, you will live. But if you don't, you're going to die. <laughs> now, the wrong understanding of what those doctors are saying would be to be like, what? What's with you, doctor? You're saying if I don't take your pill, well, I'm going to die. What the heck's wrong with you, doctor guy in a lab coat? But you, you see, you've misunderstood it you're going to die because you've got an infection. They're offering a cure and they're saying, if you don't take this cure, you will die. But it's not that the pill isn't going to kill you or not kill you. It's, it's the salvation from the thing that you've already got. Not knowing the gospel won't directly send anyone to hell. Our, our sin does that. But trusting in the gospel, trusting in Jesus' death for you, is the only way to be rescued from your sin. And so Paul says what he says in verse 8, he'll punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the heaviest talks I've ever had to give, I think. It's, it's full on. Uh, once again, I want to say, guys, talk to me if you've got questions about this. Now, all this, as we think about hell, I've got to say, it has to shape our lives. It has to have an impact on us, if as long as we're not talking about some fairy tale, if we're talking about reality, then hell has got to shape the way you live, no matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, it's got to have big implications for your life. I'm going to run us through five ones right now, not too long. First of all, we've already seen this, number one, hell means that there is justice. Lots of criminals won't get caught in this life. Those terrorists from Nigeria may not ever be brought to justice, normal people are going to suffer while rich people get richer off that, you know, whatever, but that's not going to be the case forever. God will do something about it, He'll bring justice to the world and He's going to get rid of evil forever. And so hell is good news because it does mean justice. That's what Paul's saying to these Thessalonians in their church, that's what he's saying to you guys tonight, justice is coming. Secondly hell shows us the infinite worth of God. It shows us how valuable God is. The very fact that hell exists shows us how important God is. Now, if humans were the most important thing in the world, if us and our well-being was what mattered more than anything else, I'm not sure, but I'm not 100% sure that a thing like hell would exist if that were the case. But here's the thing, we're not the most important thing in the world. God is at the centre of the world. The world revolves around Him. And because of that, a thing called hell exists because He is most important and sin against Him must be dealt with. And so guys, realise that God is at the centre of the world and that humans are very valuable and important and loved by God but God's at the centre of the world, not us. Come to terms with that reality. Thirdly though, Hell shows us the incredible love of God. Now, it might sound like, how could that even possibly mean that? Here's why. As we look closely at hell and the nature of it and what it is, what we're actually seeing as we do that is we're seeing the price that Jesus paid for you to save you from hell. If hell's the just punishment for what we've done and Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay that punishment... That shows us the love of God. You know, John chapter 3, 16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on the cross so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's how much God loves you, that Jesus would die in your place and take that sin. And so to take away from hell is actually to take away from what Jesus has done on the cross. Hell shows us the love of God for us. Fourthly, guys, trust the gospel. If you're a Christian, keep trusting it. If you're not, become a Christian. Put your trust in Jesus. Now, it could be, guys, that um, you could have been around for ages at EV Youth and you've not yet put your trust in Jesus. It could be that this is your first night ever. And once again, man, if this is your first night, it's a pretty full-on night to come, and I promise you that our talk isn't like this every week. Um, But this is important stuff. I mean, like... (laughs) No one wants to be told they've got cancer, but you don't want to not tell them if that's true. You know. I mean? So if this is real, it's important that we talk about it, but it's pretty full on, I realise that. But here's the thing, if you don't know God, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, guys, I think very carefully about what would stop you from doing that. And if you've got no good excuses, then put your trust in Jesus. Um, it could be, though, that as you kind of hang out with us tonight, you're actually a pretty big skeptic, right? Maybe you're here and you're going, I got all sorts of reasons why I don't think this is legit. And, and you know, you, you might have all sorts of stuff going on. Good. Ask your questions. Love you to do that. But here's my question for you How sure are you that Jesus isn't the only way to be saved? If you're skeptical about this stuff, how sure are you that this stuff isn't true? 95% sure this stuff isn't true? 99% sure this stuff isn't true? I don't know. I don't know what you'd say to that. But here's the point. If there's any doubt at all in your mind that this stuff is, 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 is true, you get the point, right? Um, man, that's worth sorting out. If there were a 5% chance that you were facing an angry God and eternity in hell... Well, that's worth making sure of, even if there's just a small chance in your mind. That's a very different perspective in my mind. I'm pretty sure this stuff is real. But for you, even if there's a 5% chance, it's worth figuring out for sure. Don't stop wrestling with this stuff and don't just sit on the fence until you're convinced that Jesus is someone you can just ignore because it's a fake or that he really is God and you need to trust him. Work this stuff out. Number five, though, live in light of the reality of hell. So I reckon the temptation in a talk like this is to kind of, we have these little boxes in our minds, right? Where we like hear about hell and we're like, Ooh, and we think about it lots. And then we're like, that's pretty full on to think about. It. I'm just going to go ahead and pop that in my little corner of my mind box and forget about it um, because I don't want to think about it because it's a bit of a downer. <laughs> Guys, that's stupid. Heaven and hell is reality. Think about hell as often as you can, without driving yourself crazy by it, you don't want to become a complete nutter, but be serious about it. Hell shows us the urgency of people hearing about Jesus. Now, as I go to talk to people about Jesus in my life, I find that pretty scary. I go to talk to my mates or whatever about Jesus and that's genuinely a hard thing and it's uncomfortable and I think to myself maybe a, maybe I shouldn't do this or maybe I should just be a bit quieter or whatever and I think of all sorts of reasons but I reckon writing this talk this week and thinking about hell, right, oh, it, it, it shows me that the cost of me telling my friends about Jesus is much, much smaller than the cost of them not hearing about Jesus. Does that make sense? It costs me a lot less to talk about Jesus, even if it's hard, than it will cost those I love if I don't speak. It's like you're almost faced with this question as you go to talk to your mates. It's like, will I, will I love myself and just keep quiet because that's easier? Or will I love this person by actually telling them about, about Jesus? That's, that's the kind of question you're faced with. Hell demands action. It demands that we tell people about Jesus. So guys, start praying for people who don't know Jesus. If you're a Christian, that is. Start praying, at the very least. There's almost no excuse for that. Pray for the people around you who don't know Jesus. Life Uncut started um, started tonight, and it was pretty mad. There's like like 100 people there, and a whole bunch of people who were new, which is mad as well, and a whole bunch of people who just want to check it out. That's really good. But it's, it's not too late to get along to that. If you're somebody who wants to check this stuff out, get along next week. If you want to bring someone along next week, it's not too late to do that either. Any week at Youth is a good week to bring people along. But can I encourage you, if you're a Christian, once again, do more than just bring people to stuff and invite. Just start talking about Jesus. Just ask questions and find out what people believe and just be an honest, genuine person and just have good conversations. Live in light of the reality of hell. Let's pray. Father God, um, we thank you for your word. Lord, for those of us who are still wrestling with this idea of hell, we've got questions and we've got worries and, and, and difficulties, God, please resolve those for us. Help us to trust that you're a good God, and that you know what's best and that we can rely on you. So please help us to trust you more, but help us as well to find answers. Uh, and, and Lord, for those who see these things clearly, I pray that we would live in light of reality. To your glory. Amen.